Welcome to the Identity Center podcast. I'm Jeff, and that's Jim. Hey, Jim. Hey, Jeff. How are you? I'm good. How about yourself? Good. It's been an interesting couple of weeks. I got a negative COVID test last week. Negative is that's a positive. Is a good thing, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Negative <laughs> is a positive. And yep. right now, I have fish swimming in my backyard. So I'm on the indirect path of Hurricane Sally. We got a lot of the rain without the wind. Uh, and I live on what you would call either a large pond or a small lake. Anyway, it's kind of breached into my backyard, and it's right up against my house, and I've got about seven inches of water in my backyard. So small fish, they're they're just enjoying my backyard right now. So we might have to turn this into a uh, breaking news podcast, right? If the flood waters start to to rise up and and take over uh, in the Georgia area where you're based. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we we might be on the Weather Channel. <laughs> uh, well, well, we will hope that we don't have a whole lot of flopping fish around in your in your backyard. Otherwise, um, you know, maybe those can be put to use uh, somehow uh, if that's something that you're into. <laughs> um, before we get into our you know main topic today, I want to you know give a shout out and make sure that uh, you know this kind of gets out there. Um, Jim and I did a special uh, podcast for Ping's Identity Identify 2020 virtual conference that's happening in October. So um, you're good to see our ugly faces as part of that uh, virtual conference. So um, for folks who are interested in, in watching that and see kind of just how we go about creating a, a show live kind of on the spot, um, hopefully people will go out and uh, register for that. I'll have a link in uh, the show notes uh, for people to get to that. So just want to throw that out there. And uh, for today, uh, we've actually got a couple things and we're going to talk through uh, this um, project that I discovered and was forwarded to me by our guest. Uh, it's the Open Mesher Initiative. And uh, he's also performing some research into identity and access management, performance management. And I want to welcome to the show, David Douay. He's the IT risk and cybersecurity uh, representative from BNP Paribus, uh, based out of, is it Switzerland? David, is that where you're from? Yeah. Hi. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Thanks for joining us. And uh, you founded the Open Measure Project too. So I, I, we're definitely going to get into you know the research that you've been conducting, as well as that project itself, which I think is really fascinating. Uh, but before that, we have to go into the traditional first question for all of our guests. How did you get into the identity and access management space? Is it something that chose you or did you choose it? So I would rather say that IAM chose me because when I started IAM, I didn't even know I was doing IAM. Uh, that was back in the early 1990s. I'm old. <laughs> and um, I was doing IAM on novel network directory services. I was doing system engineering work. And uh, I didn't even know about uh, IAM or what the IAM acronym would, stand, uh, would mean. That's definitely a long background. That's for sure. Yeah, that's great. You know, one of the things, David, you shared uh, um, your, the research that you're working on. And I started diving into it. I mean, I thought it was interesting what you're doing. And when I started reading the research, you take an academic approach to IAM and, and um, you know, performance measures specifically. But I, one of the things I found so interesting was 
kind of the history of I am. And I want to throw this out there because I'm sure most people weren't aware of how far the industry goes back, or maybe it wasn't an industry, but at least the initial coining of the term access management went all the way back to the 1960s where, um, you know, folks were starting to share computers and share, share computer time. And the concept kind of came about that people may intentionally go about trying to access other people's work. And so you had to have access controls over the data so that people could only, uh, and you know, 1967, I'm thinking it's punch cards, right? You couldn't use punch cards to get to somebody else's data. Yeah, exactly. And that's fascinating because we are in IT and we feel that IT is something modern. And in fact, we have half a, half a century of history and research in the field that is just right there. Absolutely. So cool. So um, tell us a little bit about the Open Measure Project. I mean, that's how we found out about you. It's a big contribution to the IEM practitioner. Um, tell us how you started it, why you started it, et cetera, and what, and what the Open Measure Project is all about. Yeah. Um, so that started, I think, two years ago. Um, we were exchanging with um, a bunch of friends and uh, peers uh, I am practitioners. Um, we were giving a series of talks in Germany on IAM at the time. And we were a bit frustrated uh, by the fact that IAM uh, products and service vendors and analysts, they do a great job at doing market research, but there is quite a bit of uh, marketing propaganda in, in the lot. And we, we, we wanted to have a, a neutral platform for IM professionals to uh, exchange knowledge, exchange uh, experiences, uh, and so on and so forth. And uh, so since I'm a big fan of wikis, then um, I built Open Measure. And the idea is to have a, a cool, open-minded wiki where um, all IM professionals could come, get the knowledge, get the information for free, and if possible, for a few of them at least, uh, make some contribution. So if someone wants to contribute to the Open Measure project, and, and we'll have a link to it in the show notes, it's, it's open-measure.atlassian.net. Uh, but if someone wants to contribute to that, do they just go to the website and uh, you know, register for an account? Um, you know, what's the best way for someone to become involved with, with that initiative? So I hand, well, the, the wiki is public. Um, I immediately hand over um, a credentials to everyone. Uh, they just can subscribe on online and then uh, I hand over um, a full subscription to, to them. Uh, because this is a nonprofit association, uh, we have this uh, legal statutes that makes it completely free. So I can hand over as many members uh, as I can uh, without incurring any license costs, which is great. And, uh, and, and I'm very thankful to those who, who give us these uh, cloud services for free. Um, then all those who want to contribute, um, then they can just reach out to me on the, uh, on the platform and, and, and I just... Uh, um, change their profile, make it an editor profile, and then they can create pages, edit pages, 
um, uh, directly on the wiki. Um, yeah, they just reach out to me, and I'll be most happy to uh, to hand you over the the, the the modified permissions on the wiki. I don't do it initially from the from the very beginning because since we have now a little bit more than six hundred people on the platform, I thought that it was just normal to not to do a vetting on those who would contribute, but just to ensure that. Uh, those who will contribute are, are IM professionals uh, that, that, uh, and not anyone from the internet, which would not be, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, this, this would be the jungle. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, right? You, we see what happens with Wikipedia, for example, right? Where people uh, make edits that maybe they probably shouldn't. Um, so yeah, there is definitely some access control that needs to be in place for for access control best practices, which which uh, I totally agree with. Um, well, that's pretty cool. It, you know, it's it's a great website. There's a lot of good information there. A lot of things like best practices and you know different ways to measure IM programs and and other types of information. So uh, hopefully people will go out there and check it out and you know volunteer to, to help contribute you know the, to the knowledge base uh, that everyone can learn from. Um, with that, I think that's that's great, and I think that leads us right into the resource research that you've been working on uh, around IAM performance measurement. Um, so we can set a level set for the folks who are listening. You know, what what did you study as part of this research, and can you talk a little about who provided the data? Yeah, sure. So. Um... When you start a, uh, an academic research project, usually you want to uh, uh, find a subject that has some um, that is a little bit original that brings something to the table. And uh, so I, I was doing this as part of a master thesis, and I, I of course wanted to do the master thesis on on, on my main uh, area of expertise that is I am. And looking for a subject, I observed that. Most of the academic work was around technology. We have plenty of research on technology, uh, protocols, standards, and so on and so forth. Uh, but we don't have a lot of uh, research on the uh, IAM as an organi organization, as a function within the organization. And uh, yet we all know as IAM professionals that this is uh, the key you know, the people and the, the processes. And yet this is not very much researched. Uh, I would even say that it is not researched at all. Um, so uh, I thought that one way to start this uh, field of research or subfield of research would be to take it from the perspective of how do organizations measure the performance of the IM function within the organization. And uh, this was the starting point of the research. That's fantastic. So um, the the research that you did, you kind of, um, you know, again, it's, what impressed me so much is I, I read a lot of um, the research that's done in our industry, but because you were writing an academic paper, um, the, the way it reads and the approach is just uh, so similar to what I'm accustomed to in reading um, you know, academic and say almost like a medical journal where you, you have all of the, um, the, the kind of the core data and how you used um, statistical analysis to uh, reach your conclusions. Um, one of the things that I noticed was kind of your collection method for data was um, 
computer-based surveys, right? So I guess you emailed out survey links to people and they responded to those. So how well were those received and kind of what was, how, how you went about designing those surveys, right? Because you have a lot of questions that you ask people. Um, what, what went into how you designed those surveys? Yeah, so ideally when you start uh, a survey, you would like to do a random sample from your target population. Here, my target population was obviously IM professionals. And, uh, but the problem is that there is no directory of all the IM professionals in the world, nowhere. Uh, so you couldn't really run um, a random sample as we would do, for example, for medical research. Um, that said, uh, there are some modern techniques to do sampling of population via social networks. And I use um, LinkedIn as a way to, um, to do my sampling and to capture uh, a population of IM professionals. Um, I sent, I don't remember, was it uh, well, several hundred um, uh, questionnaires to the IM professionals, uh, asking them to contribute uh, to the research. And I got uh, a approximately a little bit more than 300 answers and a little bit more than 100, uh, I would say, uh, fully uh, answered questionnaires uh, with really meaningful data. And that was the, the, um, uh, the, 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 the threshold that I had to reach to uh, be able to start to, to get some um, uh, to, uh, statistical analysis going uh, from, from this data set. Right, right. I, I would like to, to mention something perhaps is that the, the data is not yet published, but my intention is that as um, accompanying the publication of the, the research report, I, hopefully in a few weeks from now, um, all the data will be made open sourced uh, the idea is that other researchers or IM professionals may find it useful to uh, reuse this data for complementary research. And uh, I think that this would be interesting to have similar uh, initiatives from other researchers. Like this, we could collect all these pieces of data on distinct areas and uh, make it to benefits for the, uh, the community. Now, you know, I, I, I kind of find, okay, so one of my favorite um, researches that come out each year, each year is the Verizon Data Breach Report, right? And so obviously a lot of um, design work goes into making it very flashy and look very attractive. But I mean, at the core of it, what's important is the data that, that, kind of is in that report is baked into that report and the fact that you know that you can read it every year and the numbers change and there's trends that that can be taken away and when you compare where things were maybe a decade ago to where they are now you really can glean some insight and I'm kind of hopeful that with what you're working on that you kind of take that approach that you know this data gets refreshed maybe annually um, I know that's a lot to ask from you know, you, at this point, I think you're a not-for-profit organization, um, but um, I think that this is the kind of, uh, again, like you said, it's kind of a, a unique approach to look at people and process, which I don't think anybody else is, is really doing, right? 
most of the focus is on technology and it's on data breaches and, and gen, gen, general or generic uh, information security topics rather than specifically on identity and access management. Yeah, it really is my intention to, to keep it going on in the, in the coming years. Actually, there, there is a follow-up research project that I intend to start right away when this one will be finished. And it is to co-develop with uh, field IM practitioners um, a set of standardized um, performance metrics for IAM. So this this will be the the, the follow-up project uh, once this one is completed. So you were kind enough to share you know some of the preliminary um, findings that you had, and I was kind of want to dive into a, a few of those. I think one of the things that came out you know, kind of right away was a question that you had around um, who handles IAM functions in organization and whether it was centralized or distributed or maybe some sort of hybrid between the two. Um, can you share maybe some of what your thoughts were around what you discovered around that? And then was there any differences between maybe internal identity and access management versus external or like customer focused identity and access management? Yeah, sure. So I had Big surprises because, uh, and this is the, the funny thing about research, is that all this, the, the, the thing you were absolutely certain about when you started, <laughs> they, 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 so, so some of them just blow up uh, during the research. Um, so w- one thing that I, um, that I, I, I had uh, the intuition of, and that was confirmed by the research was the population of IM professionals. It is mainly composed of uh, IT veterans with many years of experience in IT. Here, I think this is interesting because uh, we know from the, the, the old uh, Gartner report on, you know, uh, um, um, consider IM as a process and not uh, as a technology. Uh, we know that this process part is very important. And yet among IM managers or uh, key IM actors, we, we mainly have people with IT backgrounds. So uh, the profession may benefit from having uh, managers that would come with complementary views from perhaps from business schools or others. Uh, this, this would be something interesting. But this was not surprising because I have many colleagues I am in IM and they all have this IT background. Uh, regarding the setup of the IM function within the organization, um, the, the, the reporting lines of the IM manager is one dimension that we looked into um, as part of the research. It was not surprising to see that uh, half of the IM managers directly report to the CISO, some to the CIO, a few to the COO, and so on and so forth. Um, what, what was confirmed by the research is that uh, the governance of IM within the organization uh, influences uh, to an important degree the kind of priorities that are set for IM and the kind of value proposition that the organization will, uh, will obtain from I, the IM function. So uh, I think uh, this is a, a rather, inter- it just confirms something obvious, I guess. Huh? If you report to the, to the CIO or to the CISO or to both, both or to the CEO, uh, 
uh, it will not be the same I am, basically. Yeah, and that makes sense. Do you find that um, teams are generally centralized to one area, handling kind of all the IAM functions, or um, was it more, you know, where other there may be other teams kind of all handling identity and access management, but it really wasn't kind of their their day job, right, or or their main focus. Maybe a engineer or you know someone in the business, maybe who's just handling it because they have to. Did you find any? Uh, yeah. Any findings around that? Yeah, absolutely. So on the centralization, um, decentralization dimension, um, I was very surprised. I had the intuition that if you would centralize the IM function, and here I'm talking about IM and all its subdomains, also PAM, uh, uh, customer IM, and so on and so forth. Um, if you would centralize it, I was convinced that you would reach high of um, maturity levels because you could pool resources and build something stronger. And that was completely wrong, uh, this assumption. In fact, we see uh, completely, uh, no, well, we don't see in any statistical association between this um, centralization, decentralization dimension and the level of uh, capability maturity reached by the IAM function. Um, so so th this was counterintuitive, um, and, and I think this is very informative if you um, are considering how to set up your IAM function within your organization and you're working in a large organization. Let's say that you have teams here and there with various uh, scopes of responsibilities. Uh, uh, Recentralizing everything um, may not yield any benefit to improve your processes. And, and this is highly counterintuitive, I think. It, it would require complementary research to dig more into what could be the reasons for these results. And uh, this opens the door for later research. Yeah, I thought it was interesting the way that you had structured um, the research itself. You know, it was very methodical, very detailed, and you had, uh, you know, basically listed hypotheses that you had posited as far as IAM. And what I thought was interesting was, you know, the, the designations of corroborated, partially corroborated, you know, and then flat out rejected based on the research that, that you got, right? And I was very surprised around uh, the hypothesis that centralization is positively associated with capability maturity and that that was not your findings. I mean, that, that definitely is counterintuitive, as you mentioned. You know, I would think that with a centralized IAM team that you would have a much greater ability to standardize processes, procedures, and make sure that things like compliance are being kept at the same level. Uh, but I was, I was, it was interesting to, to read that your findings did not uh, uncover that fact. Yeah, absolutely. And here the sample is, uh, the result is really st statistically valid. And since I was so surprised by the result, I checked it, I think, 10 times, <laughs> redoing, the, re redoing the whole computation thing. And uh, yeah, and, and there's just no other way to look at it than, yeah, that, that, that's how it is. But if centralization is not such, uh, um, uh, in fact, an important uh, dimension, then specialization is. And uh, here, what we see is that um, if those people managing the IAM functions, processes or sub-processes are specialized 
doing their task, um, here you will yield higher maturity levels. And um, so this, this would this suggests that if you invest in talent, if you invest in developing your IM specialists and professionals, uh, then it is worth it. One, one thing I wanted to say, David, is, yeah, I think that this whole topic around centralization and maturity, it's, it'll be hotly debated just because the statistics support um, the conclusion that there is not a correlation doesn't mean that people won't still kind of believe that. And this is one of the, um, uh, the, the great things about academic research, right? Is that it still leaves room for debate. Um, but those of us who are, you know, numbers people who prefer to take kind of that objective approach, it just, it, it's going to make for some interesting conversation. It is not because statistically it is true to state that there are no association between, between the two, that for all organizations in the world, every time it would be a wrong, a wrong decision to centralize the IM function. It really depends on every individual organization, obviously. And it, it may really make perfect sense for one particular organization to centralize IM. Um, and, and this may yield great benefits to the organization. This is really not what the study is saying. It's, it, it doesn't say don't centralize the function. It just says in, in the observed uh, sample data, which is representative of the profession, we don't see it in the correlation between that and the IM function succeeding. Yeah, that's a really good point. So it's not that the research pointed to centralization being correlated to lower maturity. It was saying that centralization does not correlate to higher maturity. Now there may be other, other drivers for centralization other than maturity. So that, yeah, I mean, I guess my going in position uh, would have been what yours was, is that I would expect that with centralization, you have higher maturity, but um, probably what's happening is centralization is in most organizations is being driven around efficiency, doing more with fewer resources, things like that. Um, so interesting. And, and probably it would be really uh, interesting to get to, um, you know, well, I think what people need to do is dive into the research a little bit more and uh, kind of see what are the, the things that correlate uh, with higher maturity uh, because that's important. Uh, the thing that I wanted to also bring up was kind of one of the questions you went into, which is where the IAM function reports. Um, because this is a question I often get. What is the best practice? Where, where should IAM report? Should it be to the CIO? Should it be to the CISO? Should it be you know, higher up, uh, lower down? Should it be a customer service function or is it IT? Um, and then the question I get is what is best practice? And one of the things that I feel like that I wanted to point out, and I want to see if you agree with this, is that what most people are doing doesn't make it best practice. Best practice doesn't mean what do most people do. Best practice is uh, the, the practice that is the most correct or the most effective. Um, and so I, I wanted to see if kind of you look at best practice in the same way. If you were asked that question, uh, how you would answer. So what is the best practice for where the IEM function should report? Yeah, so I, I, I'd like to slice your questions in two pieces. 
the, there is the question of what a best practice is and if, if we should use that expression, in fact. And the other question is uh, to whom should the IM function report? And <clears throat> part of the research was to collect what are the goals of IAM. And I've made, a, from, from the, uh, the literature review, a list of all the possible goals for IAM. Well, not, not all the possible goals, but all the common goals for IAM. And it is a highly transversal function that can bring value in many areas in the organization. We all think of compliance and cybersecurity because these are the two key goals for IAM often. But in fact, IAM can yield value uh, for the digital transformation of a company uh, to accelerate that transformation. It can bring productivity gains in, on, on a number of processes uh, and so on and so forth. And there are literally tens of possible goals for IAM. So how do you position IAM within the organization? I would say, what do you want to get from your IAM function? Uh, what are the priorities? For instance, if um, digital transformation, customer experience, and so on and so forth is key, well, um, I, I guess the digital transformation um, would be okay with the CIO. Uh, if uh, customer experience is a fundamental thing, perhaps embedding IM in the, in the business units or perhaps reporting to the CEO may be best. Uh, if you're completely focused on security and compliance things, then CISO may be a very well positioning. So first, get your strategy clear, clearly defined, know what you want to get from it, and then define your governance setup based on those priorities. And this may very well differ from one organization to the other. That answers the first question. So your best practice for IM reporting line will depend on your strategy. And this may change in time because today you may wish to use IM for security purposes, for example. But then once that's set up and you feel that you reach a certain level of maturity, then you may wish to focus on customer experience. And so you may change uh, or multiply the reporting lines of the IM manager uh, to, to, to sustain this new strategy. And then there is a question on what is the best practice. And uh, ideally, I, I think we should not use that expression because, uh, yeah, um, best part of the, 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 the optimal practice for an organization uh, is very much conditioned by the particular circumstances of that organization. So, Best practice is the mainstream consensus of what, how we should do things, but that may be very wrong for a single uh, individual organization. I agree. I agree. I think, um, you know, something with best practice. So a lot of times I think best practice at a very micro level of, a you know, should you disable an account or delete an account? Okay, that I feel like, you know, while it's still not black and white, I still think that you can define a best practice around something like that. Where the IAM, where the IAM organization should report or to whom it should report, I believe there's just so many different influential factors to that, that having one best practice is 
is not realistic. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I find it interesting that, you know, I love the answer you just gave, right? It, it depends. <laughs> Best practice depends, right? It's, it, and it, but it really is determined what you're trying to get out of it, right? It, and, and we see this, you know, quite often where you have an internal IAM team and, you know, they typically report to a CISO or somewhere in the security organization and their motivations are driven by the CISO, security yeah. compliance, right? Um, if that organ, if that IAM function reports to another area, like you mentioned, then the priorities, you know, shift. And we see that a lot of times where maybe an e-commerce or a marketing team is responsible for customer IAM. They're more focused on the user experience, making it easy for the organization to, or for the customer to consume the organizational, you know, resources or product or, you know, whatever it may be. So I, I do think it, it does depend. And, you know, for the folks who, who are listening, uh, there, you know, there isn't a right size answer other than what is the right thing for your organization, because as you mentioned, David, you know, it, it does vary from, from organization to organization. Um, one of the things that I thought was really interesting too around your research was uh, the idea of IAM metrics and the reporting of them. And, you know, I think there are some that are, you know, important and that are out there, things like, you know, how, how are things automated provisioned, you know, what's your compliance rate, et cetera. But one thing that sometimes gets lost in all this reporting is that the further away you get from the IAM function itself, the less understanding of IM metrics there is. And I think that's something that's important for people to consider when they're building dashboards or you know, providing reporting to management. Um, what are some of the things that you discovered uh, around that? <laughs> you said it all. <laughs> um, that, 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 that's basically the thing. We have a number of populations to whom we would like to report. Um, I am performance. These are completely distinct populations. We typically have top management, um, but we may have also um, uh, business units to whom we may wish to report. Uh, we may report um, to security, to compliance, to a number of stakeholders. And um, <clears throat> obviously, one of the super key stakeholders here is top management because they will fund uh, I am so you'd better get your dashboard straight and ma make them meaningful for them, and probably because many I am managers have an IT background, I guess that they tend to create dashboards that are cool with a lot of colors and things. Uh, but does it get the ID straight to the point to top management that has a very short attention span to look at those? dashboards and quickly see if they're, well, basically the two questions they need to answer is, do I need to take a decision here? And, and, and what is that decision? And um, th th that's really the key thing. And are our dashboards currently helping management make decisions? If the answer is no, then our measurement is not fit for purpose. Have metrics that tell the story and be able to defend it, I think is important, right? And different people will find different metrics important. When you do advisory services, for instance, I, I've, I, I also worked in advisory services previously. When you do advisory services with a company, I'm sure then you have a, a sample of customers. Um, 
do you experience uh, redoing these IM dashboards based on requirements that have been expressed from top management? I've, I'm, you've certainly done that exercise a few times. Yeah, definitely. And I think a lot of it, you know, the first question that come out of my mouth usually when we're doing that kind of work is, you know, who's going to be looking at this, right? Because you don't want to fill up a whole bunch page of, you know, a spreadsheet full of numbers isn't any good without any context behind it. And it is sometimes too much detail. What is the decision that you're trying to get, uh, whoever your decision maker is? So as we're looking at metrics and the way that things get reported, you want to make sure that it's targeted to your audience. And it's, it's very similar for any type of, you know, whether it's metrics or if you're trying to justify an IAM program, or even you're just trying to explain IAM in an elevator to somebody, right? You kind of have to know your audience and not bury the lead as far as what you're looking to communicate. If I'm in a, if I'm in a you know, a, an elevator or if I'm pitching, uh, you know, metrics towards someone on the technical side, I'll probably have more technical based metrics. If I'm, posting more to the management side and maybe the executive level, I'm going to have very summary, summary, detailed, you know, executive speak um, level of detail when it comes to whatever it is I'm going to, you know, post out there. Um, So it really does, you know, you have to, you have to tailor the message for whoever you're talking to. That is for sure. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. One weak point that we find among um, many I am, um, uh, uh, dashboards here is related to the theme of cost management. It seems that this is one of the areas uh, where we we have difficulties. Um, I, I'm sure that advanced, you know, like a, um, a, a total cost of ownership or ROI or the, the, these fancy things are perhaps a, a bit sophisticated. So I understand that this is not. Um, very common to see this in organizations, but just plain basic cost management, such as what is the cost of a single workforce identity for the organization? What is the cost of a customer identity for the organization? Just these questions, even if you don't have a sophisticated answer, providing some level of answer to these key questions to top management, I think it is extremely important. Yeah, definitely. And you got to start somewhere, right? It, these are questions that you can ask as part of, um, you know, trying to mature an organization. And a lot of times the answer is, wow, we really don't know, right? No one's ever really gone to the effort of counting up the number of paid licenses that are associated with an account. What is the time it takes to provision that account? What is the time that it takes to manage the lifecycle password resets, right? Um, and then you start getting into a lot more fuzzy areas like, lost productivity <laughs> and you know, customer <laughs> satisfaction, right? Things that, that's yeah. very difficult to measure <laughs> or even just, you know, a version of risk, right? What is, if it's properly managed versus improperly managed, you know, trying to develop a way to measure against that is, is sometimes very difficult. And a lot of times organizations just haven't matured from a, uh, you know, even just a data reporting and collection um, standpoint to be able to provide it accurately. But you've got to start somewhere. And I think at least, you know, having something with that caveat and making sure people understand, you know, how you're arriving at that number makes sense, uh, you know, just to start throwing out there so that at least you can start to measure some of those things. That, that is for sure. That, that's right. You start a conversation and, and, and you must be transparent about the limits of the exercise. 
about what you know and what you don't know. And, and, and yeah, that, then, then it is an opportunity to start a great conversation. Uh, for instance, um, also customer satisfaction um, is typically a dimension that is not being assessed uh, very often. Um, if, talking about internal customers for the IM function, typically the workforce, what is the perceived experience with IM? Uh, is it something that they just don't understand and <laughs> complain about and feel that it is um, impossible to, 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 to manage and it is something they feel they, they must fight against to get, <laughs> get access to the thing, those things that they need to access to? Uh, or, uh, um, yeah, customer satisfaction or internal customer satisfaction is something very basic to, to measure. And it may be very informative uh, as to whether you are providing the level of uh, service quality to your workforce that is expected by your workforce. And seeing it evolving from time to time, uh, I think it is uh, very important. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, my hat's off to you. This is such an excellent piece of research um, that you're able to, to come up with. And I think there's a lot of really interesting findings, and I'm looking forward to when it'll be available out there. So. Um, I think, uh, you know, that's probably a pretty good spot that we'll leave it for this week. Um, I know, David, I know that um, when this research is available, I, I'm assuming you'll put something on LinkedIn or something along those lines so that people are aware of it and uh, where they can find it. Will, will that be the case? Yes, absolutely. I will publish the, the report as soon as it is um, finally approved through the, the, the full uh, research process. And uh, so that, that, that should come in a, in a few weeks from now, I hope, perhaps a, a few months max. And um, I, I'll certainly post something on, on LinkedIn and on the Open Measure uh, Wiki. The report will be made uh, publicly available, of course, for free. And it will be open sourced with all the accompanying data uh, as soon as it will be published. That is just awesome. And, uh, you know, I'll definitely be looking for it. And uh, once we see it available, we'll definitely bring it up on the show. So we'll kind of remind people, you know, whether it's a few weeks or, or whatever it is that to make sure that, you know, people take a look at it because it really is an excellent body of work. So congratulations on that. Um, before we get things wrapped up here for the week, uh, Jim, is there anything else that you'd like to bring up? No, I, you know, just a, a big thank you to David. I know he's a, he's a busy uh, busy bee over there at the bank and plus being a student and, and producing this fantastic work. So I really appreciate him taking the time to speak with us and our, um, our audience and uh, keep, you know, keep giving back, David. I, we, it is appreciated. Thank you very much for having me on the show. It was, I'm a super big fan of IDP, Identity at the center. So thanks a lot for this opportunity to share. Well, we appreciate your good taste in your podcast uh, listening habits. That is for sure. <laughs> so <laughs> um, hopefully people out there uh, enjoy it as well and are sharing amongst your friends. You know, we've seen listenership continue to grow, you know, even despite the pandemic and kind of podcast listening habits be you know, a little bit impact, especially the beginning, but, you know, we continue to, to see growth and, you know, that helps us get, um, you know, great topics and great guests like David on the show. So um, you can find out more about us at identityatthecenter.com. We've got, you know, LinkedIn links for Jim and myself. We're always happy to connect with folks. If you've got ideas for shows, you know, don't for, you know, don't hesitate to send them in. We love to have topics that um, are of interest to the people, you know, that, that we're talking with and, uh you can always follow us on Twitter at IDAC podcast. So 
Um, with that, we're going to kind of close out for this week. Uh, again, just another reminder about Ping's identi uh, Ping Identities Identify 2020 Virtual Conference. That's October 7th and 8th. Uh, we'll have a special episode for that. Um, and hopefully you'll check that out. And we'll have links to uh, all this information, including link to David on LinkedIn, uh, the Open Measure website, the Identify 2020 conference, and, uh, and more. So with that, we'll go ahead and close it out for this week. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening and stay happy and healthy. listening to the Identity at the Center podcast. For more episodes, visit identityatthecenter.com.